rather, God has designed us in such a way that we can only find true, everlasting, eternal happiness in obedience to God's word. And any promise to disobey that will bring us joy is false. The Proverbs also remind us that obedience to God's law leads to a truly fruitful life. So if you want your life to count for something, you want your life to be significant, right? You want your life to be important and not just to be wasted, then living a godly life is how you produce a truly fruitful life. Now, it won't look like uh, what the world deems to be fruitful or uh, good, a good result or whatever, but it will be a truly godly, fruitful life by design that God has called you to, and that's by living in obedience to God's law. And then lastly, number four, Obedience to God's law is something that we actively pursue and not just passively receive. So obedience to God's law is something we actively pursue and not something that we just passively receive. Now to clarify, in light of the gospel, we do passively receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not something we earn, right? It's not something we merit. But So obedience to God's law is not meritorious for salvation, but it is something that is motivated by our salvation, if that makes sense. So we, we play a part in that. We don't just say, oh God, I can't obey, so I guess I'll just sit here until I obey something. It's not what we do, right? But we say, God has given us commands, he's given us things to do, he's called us to walk as Christ has walked, to be like him, to be righteous. And yes, we will fail, but God, by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit in light of the gospel, has now given us everything we need, the power that we need to walk in a messy yet glorious obedience to Jesus Christ. And I say messy because it will not be perfect. You will be sinful. You will constantly be battling against your sin the rest of your life until you get to eternity. But we do actively pursue it. Um, Like I said, it's just based not out of earning God's love, but because of, of God's love already earned for us in Christ Jesus, therefore we obey. And so Proverbs is a reminder that we gotta be actually trying to do something here, right? That we should be looking at the word of God and saying, I wanna do this with my life and I'm gonna give it my best effort by the grace and power of Jesus Christ. So those are the Proverbs in a nutshell, and I hope as we walk through them that we can just take some glean from some practical wisdom from a smart old man, Solomon. Uh, and it's kind of like the do, do like I tell you, not what I do, right? Because he ended up having like, you know, a thousand wives and doing a lot of crazy stuff. So we don't wanna do like Solomon did his whole life, but we do wanna listen to the word of God here and the wisdom that God has given Solomon. So uh, if you would join me in prayer, we're gonna pray today and then we'll, we'll hop into the Proverbs and, and get going. So um, you can buy your heads with me. Father, we love you very much and we beg for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. God, we are an angry people. We are constantly offended. We get mad when things don't go our way. We just learn how to hide it, unlike kids. We are frustrated because sometimes we feel robbed, um, like you haven't given us the life that we really deserved, or, or sometimes we feel like people just don't serve us enough. Whatever it may be, God, we, we are an angry people, and so I pray that we wouldn't gloss over it as just a small struggle, but God, that we would understand more deeply, as we talked about last week, what's going on in our hearts. There is a, a dissatisfaction in you, God, when we lash out in, in anger. It's not just because of a situation, but because we are angry, Father. There's something wrong with our relationship with you, and we pray for healing in that arena today. God, we pray that your word in the Proverbs and whatever else we look at say in your word, God, that it, it would just be it would be fruitful for us. It would be fulfilling for us. It would lead us to repentance and to walk in wisdom. 
And God, as always, we ask for your grace to walk in wisdom because on our own strength, we can do nothing good. On our own strength, we cannot walk in righteousness. We need your grace, and we pray that we would find it today in here. So Holy Spirit, do this now, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, okay, so uh, he read Proverbs 16, 32, and I'm going to get back there today. I want to kind of look at a few different Proverbs and just kind of look at some, some wisdom. Uh, a few things I want to mention kind of going into it, just to clarify. Uh, last week, Court uh, talked about the difference between righteous and, and unrighteous anger. So there is an anger that is good. This is a, a, by design, anger is a healthy emotion towards injustice and wrong and the defaming of God's glory. However, there's also an unrighteous anger. Right? When you perceive an injustice that is not really an injustice uh, and therefore sinful. And today, I'm going to be focusing more on that unrighteous anger. Uh, so when I talk about anger, I'm not going to say unrighteous every time, but I want you to know I'm talking about this sinful anger that wells up inside of us uh, due to our, our sinful nature and our choice. Um, and I also just want to be clear that we, we should not be so quick to write anger off. Um, I think this is something that's so easy to do, right? Um, it's just kind of say, oh, I just lost my temper. It's fine. Whatever. You know. Uh, but I us losing our temper or us kind of losing control, if you will, of our emotions to the point where we get angry and lash out at someone, that should be an indicator that there is something raging inside of you that is not good, right? There is something raging inside of you that should be dealt with and not just thrown to the side like it's not there. Uh, and so um, it's important that we focus on this and that we look at anger as something that we should be killing, not something we should be kind of just keeping as our pet, you know? Um, and so we got to be slow to anger. That's what the text says. It says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who controls his own spirit is better than he who takes a city. And so we are to be slow to anger. This means that we, in situations when we begin to feel angry, that instead of giving way to that anger and lashing out and being mean, uh, we rather will walk in patience and, and be, just take time to think about what's going on and to walk as Christ walks instead of how we want to. So we resist this anger and how self-control, and to do that is far better than giving way to anger, to be patient. Um, so I got three things I want to point out from the Proverbs. And you don't have to, don't flip to all the Proverbs. They're going to be up here. You don't have to kind of flip through them all because I'm going to go kind of quick. But there's three things from the Proverbs I think kind of help us lean into the effects of anger and then how we should deal with those effects of anger. And my first point is anger always leads to sin. Proverbs 29, 22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Proverbs 30, verse 32 and 33. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. So as anger comes, it will produce sin. Anger begets anger, okay? Anger causes more anger. Anger never handles the situation and makes it peaceful. It doesn't work that way. Every time there is an unrighteous anger that comes out of us or that is in us, uh, it will result in sin one way or the other. There's never gonna be a situation where you say, I'm gonna be angry and I'm gonna show them in my anger why they are wrong and then they're gonna come back on their knees begging for forgiveness because they were wrong. This is what's gonna happen. Uh, and I know we probably don't think through that often like that, but that's what we're doing. That's what our actions are showing is we think somehow our greatness and our anger and justice is going to cause them to say, I'm so sorry, right? I'm so sorry that I, I did that to you, but that is not how it works. Anger always produces sin. As you can see from the text, it causes much transgression. It produces strife. 
And so uh, anger is, is a good, good liar. It promises something that it, it can never deliver, right? It promises a result that's just not possible because that is not how we were meant to walk. We were meant to be gracious, to be kind, to be patient, etc. Um, but if that's true, then the opposite should be true, right? If we don't lash out in anger but rather choose patience, then that should produce an actual fruitful peace, a situation that results in peace and not anger. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So a soft response, a responding in kindness and in gentleness and in patience, which are fruits of the Spirit, that results in um, the anger being turned away. So anger within itself, it lies. It's kind of insanity. Charles Spurgeon said this in a, a he had a sermon. It's, if you want to look it up later, it's volume one, sermon 21. It was on Acts 4. And he basically said, uh, it's just one little line. He said, remember, anger is temporary insanity. Uh, sorry, there's another quote coming from that same sermon. Um, I forgot to tell you that, John. I apologize. Uh, but he said, anger is temporary insanity, right? Like we, we do things when we're angry that we would never do when we are, are sane and in our right mind. That's what anger is is it, it lies it is temporary insanity so i want to think a little bit about what happens when we're angry okay because this is kind of important to think about what's going on in our hearts maybe someone says or does something that either uh personally offends you or you feel like is wrong and so the lie is that we believe we deserve to be treated a certain way and what happened in this situation that we were not treated a certain way and therefore that is wrong and therefore we must show someone that that is wrong to treat me that way because I deserve to be treated a certain way, right? This is kind of the underlying lie that happens when we get angry when someone personally offends us. Um, so we become angry, but rather we should understand that in reality we deserve far worse than what we get every single time and Jesus suffered far worse in our place that we might not have to get what we really truly deserve, right? This is what Cord talked about last week. We deserve hell. We deserve punishment. We deserve the cross. And by his grace, Jesus takes that for us and therefore we don't get nearly what we deserve. We deserve to be mocked, to be mistreated, and to be killed, and to be punished under the wrath of God, and you don't get that. So when you are so easily offended, which is big in our culture right now, right? You say anything against anyone, you are offensive, and you should be thrown in jail, right? That's what happens now. Uh, and I know it sounds crazy, but it's true, right? Like, we're not allowed to be offensive. Um, the problem is Christianity is offensive, right? Um, but Christ has taken what we truly deserve, and so therefore we should respond in, in kindness and mercy like Jesus did for us. And so we must move away from our self-centeredness and our selfishness and feeling what we deserve and focus on um, God. To be God-centered is much better. And so how does this play out in everyday life? I think it's an important question to ask. Um, Let's just say you work under a difficult boss that you really don't like, don't really respect their authority, or maybe you have a parent that is very difficult, you really don't like them or respect their authority. I know it's no one in here, but I'm just giving generalizations, all right? Uh, in that scenario, right, what, I mean, what you want to be disrespectful back, right? Like you want to kick against that authority. Uh, and I can think of a million situations that could happen at work, it could happen with parenting all throughout my life. I felt like my parents were horrible until I grew up, right? And then you kind of realize, oh, maybe that wasn't so bad. Um, but we, we, 
feel like we should be the ones in control. We should be the ones in authority. That's why this text in Proverbs 16 says it's actually better to be slow to anger and patient than it is to be mighty or take over a whole city and have all that authority and control. It is far better uh, to just be patient and to control yourself because that's much more difficult than to control others is to control yourself. Uh, Think about correcting our children, okay? When we discipline our children, which is a good thing, um, and so I know like we're not allowed to spank anymore in society, but for those of you closet spankers who still do it, right, uh, just imagine, you know, what happens, like your kid does something that's really bad, and, and what's your reaction, right? Maybe to raise your voice and yell, maybe to say, I'm not even going to ask questions, I'm going right for the spank, because this is the 17th time I told you that today, so you're just getting spanked. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to spank, I think even in the Proverbs, it would tell you this is a good thing, if you don't do that, you... You, you don't love your children. We can argue about that later, what that looks like. But the point is that is our disciplining of our children reactionary because we feel offended that they didn't respect our authority? Or is it love and kindness that says, you know what, my goal for this child is that not that they would just obey me and my authority, but that they would love Christ and obey his authority. Therefore, we discipline in light of that action, right? Therefore, we, we are uh, calm. We are centered, if you will. We should be centered in our discipline. We should be sober-minded, self-controlled in the discipline of our children and how we go about it. And we do that. There'll be much more, there will be much more fruit uh, as we discipline our children. So that's another area which I will admit is so easy to just be angry and totally justify it, right? The kid did wrong. The kid deserved it. I got to teach him to be godly. And this is how I'm going to do it, by being angry and lashing out. Uh, Another example might be just the way we engage in our closest relationships, whether that's a spouse or a best friend or our Christian community, maybe our home group, right? It's so easy uh, as we really feel comfortable with people and we really start to love people. It's so easy to cut. Now you're past the like, I want to impress them point, right? And and so now you get to the point where you just kind of of let loose with your anger. You're less resistant because you're not trying to be impressive. uh, and, And therefore you kind of say, oh, well, this is a safe relationship, so I can lash out anyways. It's going to be fine. They'll forgive me. But that's not good either. Um, you can look at persecution for our faith and what Jesus tells us to do, right? He says, if you're persecuted, don't be angry, but rather bless. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account and rejoice and be glad in that day because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus says, if you are um, persecuted for your faith, and whatever that looks like, and it looks different in different countries, but if you're persecuted for your faith, your reaction is not, no, they, they, they deserve justice, but rather it's, it's love, right? It's love, just like Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing to me. It's love, the response. Richard Wormbrand, who was a Romanian um, pastor, and when they went under the, the communist regime, he went into prison for 12 years and suffered all kinds of evil uh, immense torture and things like that. And, and he was kind of reflecting at the end of his life. And he said, you know, the Christian is like a rose. You can, stand, you can stomp on it, but it still lets go a beautiful fragrance, right? And he said the same way with the Christian. You could stomp on the Christian, but there's still a fragrance of Christ, an aroma of Christ that comes from us that is different than, oh, we need to exact justice. We need to be angry. Like Court said last week, that, that's the Lord. The Lord gives justice. We are not in the business of giving justice. We are in the business of receiving uh, seemingly unjustice, right? Because we didn't get what we deserved. And so uh, it's the Lord that gives justice and therefore we bless <laughs> when persecuted. We pray for them when, when persecuted. We love when persecuted. And so you can see this and I can name much more things uh, about life and how these play out in life, but you can see uh, it's so easy to justify why we get angry. But 
the Proverbs, and God himself is after our heart. Why are we getting angry? Uh, and so just remember, anger is always going to lead to sin. It's never going to produce the fruit that it promises. Second is that anger leaves us vulnerable to the enemy's schemes. Anger leaves us vulnerable to the enemy's schemes. Look at Proverbs 25, verse 28. It says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, self-control here could definitely apply to more things than just anger, but we can see from uh, Proverbs 16, 32 that this definitely does apply to anger. And so a man that has no self-control over his emotions, over himself, is like a city that's been broken into and the walls have been torn down. And so a city that has been broken into and doesn't have walls, and we don't see this much today, but back in the day when this was written, a city had walls for protection, right? A, a wall meant that an army couldn't just come in and take whatever they wanted and, and pillage the city and, and destroy the city and leave it in ruins. The wall meant there was protection. It made it much harder for the enemy to get in, if you will. Uh, and so untamed Unrighteous anger leads us to a place where we are unprotected, we're isolated, and we're vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. Uh, to give some clarification, Ephesians 4, starting verse 26, says this. Um, this is quoting a little bit from Psalm 4 that we read last week. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So it literally says, do not go to sleep angry. Deal with it before you go to sleep because if you don't, you're giving opportunity for the devil and temptation, okay? That's what's happening. So when we are given to anger constantly and, and we're just kind of uh, flying off the cuff, we don't have good self-control over ourselves, we're not looking at the situations, we're getting angry through the gospel, then what we do is we, we leave ourselves vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. We, we leave ourselves vulnerable to the temptation for further sin and further traps that lead to destruction and not to life. We're unprotected, we're isolated from the Christian community. This happens a lot when, when we begin to walk in anger, right? We isolate ourselves from, from community, and that leaves us even more vulnerable because the community of God was given to us that we might uh, be protected from the schemes of the enemy. Uh, I like how Paul says in, in somewhere in, I think, First or Second Corinthians, it's one of those two, I promise, uh, and basically he says, he's talking to them, he's writing to them, and he says, uh, if I've forgiven anyone, I've done it for your sake that, because we're not ignorant of the enemy's schemes, basically. We're not ignorant of the devil's designs, and so he says, if I've forgiven anyone, it wasn't even because I wanted to forgive them. And, I, and it's because for your sake, right? So that there would be no opportunity for the devil to come in and to stir things up because we're not ignorant of his plans and what he wants to do, right? It's obvious that there is an enemy. It's obvious that he is attacking us and, and leading us away from life in Christ. And so, um, therefore, we, we forgive. We, we walk in patience and we walk in kindness. And so... The opposite is also implied that if we resist the temptation to become angry, if we walk in patience and kindness, then that leaves us not unprotected, but protected. That leaves us not isolated, but in the community of God where we should be, right? And it doesn't leave us vulnerable to the enemy's schemes, but it leaves us on guard to the enemy's schemes. I mean, there have been relationships that have been destroyed for a lifelong time because of one disagreement that someone couldn't let go because they gave in to anger and then it got worse and it got worse and it got worse, right? And there's this grudge and there's just like whole family splits and you know, I'm from West Virginia. So you see like the Hatfields and McCoys conflict, right? It's like crazy stuff, right? Like people get killed. I mean, it's nuts. But it starts as we give in to anger and we let that continue rather than understanding where we've fallen from, rather than understanding what Christ has done for us. And then as Christ uh, in 
God forgave us, now we, we are, are forgiven. As God in Christ forgave us, now we forgive others. And so um, we must do it for the sake of being protected. So anger will leave us unprotected. It will leave us vulnerable to the enemy's schemes. Um, and just a note on that, which I already mentioned, but just note the severity of anger and the Proverbs is giving us, right? It's not saying, oh, this is just a light and fluffy thing that you just got to swat like a fly, just get out of the way. No, it's a severity here that if we don't deal with our anger, that it produces some pretty bad fruit. And so be aware of that. And lastly, um, my third point is just being slow to anger is better. It's better. That's what Proverbs 16.32 is saying. It said, to be slow to anger, it's better than the mighty. Who are the mighty? Those who are strong in society, those who are praised in society. But to be slow to anger, it's way better than to be famous. It's way better than to be mighty. It's way better than to be liked. It's better. That's a promise. And then to control your own spirit and not just flip out in anger, that is better it is better than to be someone who has control, could take over a whole city and could be super mighty and strong and it's way better. And so Solomon and the Proverbs are saying, be slow to anger. Don't be hasty to be, lose your temper because it's better. Proverbs 14, 29 says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly or lifts sin up. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. I love that. It is glorious to overlook an offense rather than to be offended. So to be slow to anger is better than being mighty in this world and to be in control of people. It is better than to exact justice on someone else and take it into your own hands because that belongs to the Lord. And it's not only is it better, but it's glorious. It's gloriously better to overlook an offense than it is to take offense. And so the promises of sinful anger are empty, but the promises of walking in patience are true and gloriously true. It is glorious. It is amazing. It is fantastic to be slow to anger. That is a promise that we have. The, the promises of sin, like I mentioned before, I want to repeat this because it's so true. The, the promises you find in anger they are just so empty, right? It's so much better to be patient. It's so much better to be kind. It's so much better to be loving, to be gracious, to walk as Christ walked. It is so much better. So where do we go from here? I think one thing that I wouldn't say the Proverbs is lacking, but I think in light of the New Testament, what the Proverbs is leading us to is the person and example of Jesus Christ, and so the Proverbs uh, really kind of personify Jesus Christ as the ultimate display of wisdom, right? In 1 Corinthians 1, right at the end, I think verse 31, it talks about how Christ is now our wisdom. And, and so I want to look at Christ's life and give us an example of what does this really look like? Because it's so easy to, to talk in theory about obeying the word of God, right? But it's, it's, it's so much better to see an example acted out living. Uh, and so I'm going to be in John 19. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read uh, a few verses. So hang in there. I don't have the best reading voice. My kids fall asleep all the time when I read, but I'm going to do, do my best here. Uh, so let's look at John 19, starting in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. 
Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Now, when we look at the situation of Jesus Christ, there's a few things I just kind of want to mention leading up to this point. Jesus, who is God, who is the king of the universe, no questions asked, has always been and will always be, was just betrayed by a friend with a kiss, which was Judas in the garden. He was mocked and slapped and spit on before Annas and Caiaphas, the leaders of the day. He was denied by his apostles and abandoned by them as well, all of his closest friends. He was mocked before governors and leaders He was hated by his own people that he came to save. They wanted to crucify him and refused to call him king. And he was traded for a wicked man named Barabbas as to be, Barabbas was to be more desired than Jesus Christ. And now, as we said, the reigning God of the universe is given a painful crown and a false king's robe to be unfathomably mocked and slandered. All the while, he is like a sheep that is silently led to be slaughtered as Isaiah prophesies, and he prays on the cross for the forgiveness of his accusers and his murderers. Now, I know we are not Jesus Christ and would never claim to be him, but we are called to be like him. It is the glory. That's literally what it means to be Christian, is to be like Christ. And we see in this moment the God of the universe who deserves only praise and glory and honor and majesty and worship is mocked. He is mocked by the people of this world that he could crush in an instant. He is beaten. He is crucified. He is mistreated. And his response is grace. His response is joy. His response is love. And I'm not being petty here, but we should think about that when we're tempted to be angry, right? We should think about these things. Like when whatever little situation bothers you, when your kid really ticks you off and you take it so personal and other things happen, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and the way he handled himself. Because if we're not faithful in the small things when we get angry, I promise you we're not going to be faithful in the big things. 
we think far too highly of ourselves, right? If we're angry at our children all the time, we're not going to be loving when someone persecutes us. It doesn't work that way, right? Uh, it's all-encompassing. And so Spurgeon said this. He said, and this is part of that same sermon later on. He said, each in your proper sphere, speak kind words, do kind actions, live out Christ again in the kindness of your life. If there is one virtue which most commends Christians, it is that of kindness. It is to love the people of God, to love the church, to love the world, to love all. That is our calling. That is what separates us from the world. Not in some way that we're necessarily better than other people, but that is what separates us. It makes us different, right? Because we're not after our own gain. We're after the gain of Christ. We're after the gain of the mission of Christ and his gospel going forward. And the best gospel witness we could give is attached to a life like this that loves, that does not respond in anger, but that responds in love. And my call to you, the, the Proverbs call to us, this includes myself. I've had one of those weeks where I get up to the pulpit and I think I'm the worst guy to be up here preaching right now. I don't know if God's just gracious to do that to me, but I have just been lacked patience this week. I've lacked it. And, and God in his word calls us today to repent not to brush it off, not to be okay with our anger, but to repent, to repent that we're angry in the first place, like we deserve better treatment than what we have, to repent that we don't look to Christ and walk in Christ's likeness, to ask God for forgiveness because there's, there's no way of getting around it. We're guilty, right? We're guilty of this sin. And so, um, but it's cool because it doesn't just stop there feeling guilty and just saying, oh, well, yeah, we really messed up. We really stink at this whole anchor thing. We're really awful people. But it goes beyond that, right? Because not only is Christ our example, but Christ is our power. Not only is Christ our example, but Christ is our grace and mercy to walk in what he's called us to walk in, right? It is by the spirit of God in Christ Jesus that we now walk in obedience like we mentioned beforehand. And so it doesn't stop at feeling guilty. That's not my encouragement to you is to feel guilty. My encouragement to you is let repentance push you into Christ's likeness. Let it push you into that protection that Christ offers. Let it push you into obedience of which Christ calls us to be patient, to be loving, to be kind, to be merciful. It's so important that we do that. So by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, put to death the anger that is inside of you and choose rather to walk in love towards all people, all people. And as Court mentioned last week, we bring our anger, our frustration to God before his throne. We pray, we seek him, we ask God to forgive us, we ask God to help us. And then in return, we now live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, as Paul says in his writings. To imitate our Savior and his perfect love is our highest desire. And by doing so, we display the mystery of the gospel to a dying world. Amen. So that is the call from Proverbs to not be angry. Be slow to anger because it's better. Control your spirit. Be controlled by Christ, rather, because that is far better, right? The love of Christ controls us, 2 Corinthians 5. And so I would like to just take a moment, and you guys can stand. I would like to take a moment just to pray. Because like I mentioned before, we can't do this, right? If we're sitting in our seats right now and thinking, man, that's right. I'm going to go out and be less angry. This is going to happen. It's not going to happen, right? We don't just go out and be less angry. But by, by God's grace, we are um, 
led to do that. It's only by his mercy. He is our power. He is our strength. Um, So you bow your heads with me. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in repentance. We do not have the, (laughs) the power and the faculties that we need to walk in obedience. And so, God, our prayer is that you would just forgive us, that you would enamor us with the glory of the gospel. God, my prayer for everyone in this room is that we'd be amazed at the grace that is in you, Jesus Christ. Amazed at the grace that you offer us, that you give us. God, you're so forgiving. No matter how many times we've been angry, you still walk in love towards us. And so, God, forgive us. Forgive us and help us to walk in obedience. Help us to be a different people, a people that don't just lash out in anger and are so mad all the time like everyone is in our society right now, but a people that respond in love, even with people that hate us or disagree with us or whatever it may be. God, with our spouse and our close friends and our children and our coworkers, God, would you help us to be gracious? Would you help us to, um, as Richard Wormbrand said, basically as we get stomped or as we get mistreated or we feel injustice happens to us, may we give off the beautiful fragrance of a rose. The aroma of Christ is what we want to be. And so help us to do that, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.